I want you to take your Bibles with me, please, again, as we're going verse by verse through the little book of Jude together. Great little book in the Bible that foretells us of all of the days that we are living in and that would be here right before the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These days of apostasy, and it's just going to get worse and worse. You say, how depressing. Well, you, your, your days don't have to get worse and worse. You can have wonderful days with the Lord. And you can fellowship with Him and walk with Him, and He can thrill your heart and be a blessing to you. But we need these good warnings that God gives us. And this little book of the Bible, I've said, I do not believe there's another book in the Bible that would be more appropriately fitting for the generation that we live in these days of apostasy. I've got two verses this morning, but I believe I'll have to do just one at a time and the, the second one tonight. But I'm in verse number 12. I would call this message traits of apostates. These would be the similitudes, as we would say. God paints you a picture of what people look like that are apostatizing, that have turned away from God. And he paints a picture for us. I think so we will recognize them and also so we will see it in our own lives and understand when it's coming to pass in our own hearts because apostasy is not just some something you fall off a truck, you know. It happens gradually in your life. Have you had a, ever had a tire on your car? It just wouldn't go flat, but it would never stay full. You ever had that? And you just have to go out there constantly until you got enough time to go get it patched or whatever, and that slow leak. I mean, you think, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's all right. Maybe just the change of weather has caused it to go down, you know. But it seemingly doesn't go away. That's the way many times our leaving the things of God occurs. It's not a blowout. It's not a boom and you're on the side of the road and you can't move. That's not the way the devil usually works in our lives or the world works on us. It's just a, a just a gradual, such a tiny leak that just continues and continues. And we need to spot those things. We need to spot how those things are against God and where our heart is trending. And I'm looking at Jude verse 12 and we see these similitudes given to us, these pictures God paints for us of apostasy. Jude verse 12, the Bible says, These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever." I'll try to get through three today. In verse number 12, he says, these are spots. So he actually he gives you five illustrations. He gives the illustration of spots. And then he says in verse 12, 
He talks about clouds. And then he talks about trees. That's what, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Spots, clouds, and trees. You know, God's got to just boil it down real simple to get us to understand things. I thank God for that. Aren't you glad that, amen, that God, that the things of God aren't up in the stratosphere or way up in the trees where only a giraffe can get it, you know, with a long neck. God puts it right there where the sheep can just get it. It's just right there where they are. He talks about spots. He talks about clouds. He talks about trees. And then in verse 13, he talks about waves. We'll try to get into that maybe tonight. And he also talks about stars. But as we look at verse number 12, he, he begins to talk about spots. Now, he, he doesn't say that they have spots. Look at your Bible. These are spots. Now, we're, we're going to have a discussion here this morning about sin a little while. And, and you know, the truth is that as we live this life, even if it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, somewhere down the road, you're going to get some spots on you. But, but, and you ought to get those off of you. You ought not be content with being spotted. But it's one thing to have a spot. It's another thing to be a spot. That's all you are. They, they are spots incarnate. They're sin incarnate. These are spots in your feasts of charity. What's he talking about? Look down at verse 23. Same book, verse 23. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment. What's that word? Spotted by the what? By the flesh. You know what? What a Christian life we are in with a struggle with our flesh. Your flesh will spot you. You'll have spots all over you. It'll make you dirty. Now, when you think of spots, you often think of of a maybe a, a spot of something that gets on your clothes, some dirt or some grease or blood or something you try to get it on. But spots can be other things. You know, in, in the Old Testament, the Bible referred to leprosy as a spot. It just started as a spot. But that spot would grow. Isn't that how sin does in our lives? Isn't that what the flesh does? So he says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Your biggest enemy is not the person that you think. Your biggest enemy is you. And if you don't understand that, you really don't understand life. You don't understand yourself. Your flesh is more capable of doing more things than you could ever dream of. And it will spot you. It'll be like leprosy. It's just a little thing, but then you just let it go and you don't, you don't, give any attention to it and it just keeps growing and growing of course in the old testament in the bible days leprosy it, it was uh it was incurable Th- things have changed somewhat with with that disease but i mean it, w- it would start rotting you it would rot your limbs it would and that's the society we live in we live in a society of of spots we live in a leprous society everything is rotting and decaying and stinking and Limbs are dropping off and lives are being destroyed and dissected one spot at a time. You know, when God talks about the Antichrist, I think this is an interesting little analogy here in this last day's book. When God describes the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13, it says the Antichrist is a beast that's likened to a leopard. And then he says over there in the Old Testament, can a leopard change his spots? That Antichrist is spotted. 
He is a picture of the flesh. He is a picture. And if we don't walk in the Spirit, we will fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And the flesh has probably spotted a bunch of people in here this morning. And it's hanging. And, and, and flesh spots you in different ways. It's not just drunkenness and adultery. It's, it, it can be, you know, just lusts of heart. It could be your, your attitudes. It could be your pride. It could be your spirit. Flesh. Flesh illustrates itself in so many various ways. And you know when somebody's spotted by the flesh because they, they can't go along with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God doesn't have control of them. The flesh has control of them. And God is not in control of their life. The flesh is. And God says in these last days, what you're going to have, not, not outside the assembly. Would you look at verse 12? These are spots in your feasts of charity. The place that's supposed to be a place of charity, uh, 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 supposed to be a fellowship, supposed to be a communion with God, supposed to be a feast on the riches of His grace and a, uh, uh, where love is, is abounding. And in the middle of that are all of these spots that He's trying to destroy the fellowship of the assembly. Watch the spots. You know, church is, should be a feast of charity. You see that in our verse? These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. I love, I love to feast. You can tell. I love to feast. When we have family camp, we sit down and we eat and eat. And it's not just the food, it's the fellowship. The food's pretty good, but I mean, it's the fellowship. I love to feast. I love seeing people talking and smiling and eating and It's a blessing when we have homecoming conference and we get to eat together and feast together. Thanksgiving should be a wonderful time. We're feasting together as a family and Christmas time. That's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with feasting. God even set aside days and weeks in the Old Testament for the children of Israel to feast. It ought to be a a wonderful time, a happy time, a, a great time of fellowship, smiles and glory and love and Great morale and camaraderie. That, that's feasts. He says, you're having these feasts, but here's the problem. In your feast of charity, there's spots there. You know, church ought to be a place where you get to commune with God. And if you've got spots and sins in your lives, we ought to be able to come to the Lord. Church is a place we can come to the Lord and get that clean. But you know what church is not for? Church is not, and the things of God and the love of God is not about being a place for people to find acceptance for their sin. That's not what church is about. Church is not about you coming into church being comfortable with your spots. Now, we all have spots. We're not all Spots ourselves, but we all have spots. But if you're comfortable coming into a church with your spots, there's a few things wrong. And one thing's wrong is the church. You say, well, don't we want everybody to feel comfortable? No, we would really like people to be really uncomfortable about the fact that they're on their way to hell. Because if you're comfortable and you're on your way to hell, you're never going to change directions. You're never going to come to God. You're never going to get saved. You don't have to go to hell. 
But if you come in the church house while we're having this feast of charity and we're singing songs of love to our Lord and we're sitting down at the communion table and we're breaking the bread of life and we're fellowshipping together and your life is all spotted, you ought to feel so uncomfortable. You ought to feel so out of place. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life, you ought to be bothered right now and want to get to the altar before I get through preaching because yes, this is a place you get help but not a place you ought to feel comfortable being spotted. Spotted by the world. This is a place where we come to get clean. Church is not a place where people don't have any problems. That's not it. But church should be a place where people go to get help for their problems. Amen. And God forbid, God forbid that we would ever endeavor to be a church where people would come in there with their spots and think they can just continue in them and they feel comfortable with it and they're not worried about it and they're never faced with getting right with God. God forbid that would ever be the case. That is the, that's the problem in the days of apostasy. You've got all these churches and all these feasts of charity and love and all the fellowship, but there's spots there and there's nobody dealing with it and it's all just accepted and it's okay and it's not okay. The Bible has so much to say about spots in the Bible. It's just so just turn backwards. Go go toward the front of the Bible. Go go toward Second Peter. Just you pass Jude and you pass the epistles of John and you get into Second Peter. I wonder this morning, did you, you come into church with some spots? That's not the the problem. The problem is not coming into church with spots. The problem is leaving with them. You know, I I carry when I go out of town, and and it happened again this week. Old clutch, old old man clutch, you know, get something on my tie, get something on my shirt. And there's a spot, and it'd be okay. It really wouldn't be okay. It'd be okay if the spot was over here. But to go into church and have a spot right there. I don't want a spot right there. So my wife has put an ingenious invention in my luggage everywhere I go. It looks like a pen. Just it's orange, there's Clorox on it or whatever. I just pop the cap and I rub it right there. And the spot goes. Now, let me ask you, how dumb would I be? I've got the cure for the spot, and I just say, I'm just not going to do that. I don't care about that spot. I don't care if they see it. It's like people come to church without their hair combed. You know, there's nothing spiritual about combing your hair, but come on. You know? I mean, come on. I mean, we, we ought to pay a little more attention to ourselves, you know. Now listen, if you came into church this morning with a spot, that's not the big crime. The big crime is do you leave with it. And everybody in here is not right with God this morning. And everybody here is probably not even saved this morning. And I want you to feel uncomfortable about the spot. But here's the thing. We think that spot's back here, so I don't care about it. I've got it covered up. But the Lord looks down the assembly and says, Oh, there's a spot in your feast of charity, and there's a spot, and there's a spot, and there's see, we're not in church to be seen. We're we're in church for God to see us, and we're in church for us to see God. And so when God looks down, does he see spots? 
What are you going to do about it? You're going to leave with, with the leprosy? He said in Second Peter, you're tur- you've turned there in chapter 2 and verse number 13, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves without their own deceivings while they, there it is again, feast with you. See, the problem is not the... The problem is not the spots of sin in the community and in society and in the nation and in the world. The problem and the thing that God is addressing is not trying to cure society or making society moral or getting rid of the filthiness or the depravity of our world. What he's ter- what God is concerned about is the spots in the feasts of the people of the Lord. We've got to get clean. But here's what happens. We look at such a a wicked world and we're not convinced that our spots are all that big of a problem. 2 Peter chapter 3. You're in 2 Peter. I'll read it to you again. He said 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 14. Are you spotted this morning? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace. What does he say? Without spot. Blameless. You say, that's impossible. It is possible, or it wouldn't be in the Bible. If you've got a bad heart this morning, the only reason that you'll leave with a bad heart is you want to keep that bad heart. Let God clean it. Let Him scrub you. Let Him wash you. And you know why people don't do that? Because they're so proud. And they're looking at somebody else instead of looking. Let God scrub the spots out. Don't be a spot in the feast of charity. We've got enough problems, amen, in the world to have a good time in God when we gather together without people coming in here with covetousness and pride and anger and lust and all those things that spot us and not want to get rid of it. We've got enough problems that we want to have a feast of charity with the Lord, but we've got to let God get the spots out. There is nothing like sweet communion with the Lord. But you remember how Judas had to be dismissed before that close communion with Christ with the rest of his disciples was so sweet on the way to Gethsemane. The spot had to leave. I'm in first excuse me, first Timothy, I meant to say, first Timothy. First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter 6. He says in verse number 14. That thou keep this commandment without spot. Unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is encouraging us to do the will of God and obey the Bible without spot. Not do part of the Bible. Part of the commandment and leave those spots in our lives. There's coming a day, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 27, that he's going to present the church to himself, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It should be holy, without blemish, and thank God that's going to happen when we meet him. But I don't want the Lord, amen, to have to 
Get out the scrub brush before the judgment seat of Christ takes away all those spots. I'm supposed to be doing that right now in my life. James 1.27, a great verse in the Bible. Pure religion. The only only place in the Bible God's really uh, giving the word religion in a good light. Religion is not a good thing usually. It's a very bad thing. But he does say, it's a very good verse about religion in James 1.27. He says, pure religion. If you want a pure religion, you want, you want a religion that's okay. He says, pure religion is this, is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father says, to visit the fatherless and the widows. And, and this is what we do. Guys, so many times, this is what we do. We say, well, I've got good religion if I just help people. God says if your religion just helps people, it's not a pure religion. You know what that's called? That's called humanism. If all we want to do is help people, that's humanism. Our religion should not be man-centered. It should be God-centered. Yes, we should love our neighbors ourselves and minister to people, but that's the second commandment, not the first one. The first one is to love our God with all our heart. And so he says, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. What a wonderful thing to do to help those people that are hurting. Some people get total fulfillment of their life in their life just by helping people that are hurting. But that's not the whole thing about pure religion. He says, yes, visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In other words, that means this. If you're helping people and you're full of spots, God doesn't like it. If you're being a blessing to others, but you've got all these spots in your heart and in your mind, it's not right. I just had to remove one of our missionaries from the list. I'll tell you about it later. A life of doing good... And service for the Lord does not take the place of being unspotted. You hear me? We don't get a pass because we're helping people, but we have filthy things in our hearts and in our lives. We don't get a pass for that. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father. Visit the Father, and, but to keep himself unspotted from the world. Don't let the world spot you. Don't let your flesh spot you. And, and the problem is, as we see in our text, and this is the bad part. It's, it's not just the sin part. Look at it in Jude, verse 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves, look at your Bible, Without fear, this is the problem. Here's somebody that's a spot in the church house at the communion table and they come to approach God and they're all spotted and they're not even afraid. They're feeding themselves from the communion table, from the bread of God and and, and from the fruit of the vine and with the songs and the fellowship of God's people and they're feeding themselves and their spots, but they're not afraid to do that. And what did God tell us when we approach His table? 
You better approach it in a serious way. You better examine your heart. You better, you better get right with God because we don't just jump into the table. God doesn't care. Let's just have a great time. No, no. We examine our hearts and look for the spots and these people. And in the day of apostasy, the problem is people aren't afraid to be spotted and still put it together with God. Everybody's a sinner. It's all right. I do this. I'll sing to the Lord. I'll have a good time. No, no. You're supposed to get right with God. You're supposed to get what? That's what the blood of Jesus is for. To cleanse us from all sin. And oh, the day we live in. People go to church and they're not afraid. You know what that tells me? Our feasts of charity should have fear in the mix of it. There ought to be some fear there. Fear of what? Fear of continuing not to be right with God and going through the show. Yeah. Fear of God. There's no fear of God before people's eyes. They're not afraid to do the things they do. They're not afraid to talk about the things they talk about. There's just no fear. And God says, that gets in your feast of charity. you you got some apostates there. Characteristic of that apostate, he's a spot. He's all spotted. And yet he's not afraid. The second illustration, verse number 12, these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Now, here we go. Clouds, they are without water, carried about of winds. So we should bring our resident science teacher up to talk to us about clouds today. We won't do that, but I'll give you my little take that I refreshed myself reading NASA's website. The things preachers go through to get a message, amen. Well, if he's talking about clouds, we need, we need to understand what a cloud is. If apostates are clouds without water, carried about of winds, I need to understand what, what he's talking about. And he's using an illustration that you ought to understand. If you paid attention in school, <clears throat> you know what a cloud is. You know what a cloud is? It's made up of droplets of water. A cloud is water in a different form. I mean, you know, the, the water cycle and you've got condensation and all that. Now, 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 now watch this now. This is amazing. He says clouds they are without what? That doesn't make sense. What is a cloud? You don't have a cloud without water. There is no such thing as a cloud without water. You know what that tells me? There are some fakes right there. It looks like a cloud, but it, ain't, it, ain't, it is not a cloud because a cloud, by definition, has to have water. You know what? You can't believe that everybody you see that, that talks like they're saved and says they're saved, they could be a cloud that doesn't have any water. They may just be a fake. They just may... That's what these apostates are. That's what it's all these people that are looking. Well, I'm a cloud. Where's the water? If you're a cloud, we can find out real quick. All we have to do is find the water. And if you ain't got no water, you're not a cloud. You say, preacher, what's the water? I'm glad you asked what the water is. The Bible tells us explicitly what the water is. 
The washing of the water by the Word. When you talk about clouds and you talk about the rain and the water that comes from, you'd have to go to Isaiah 55 and God tells you exactly what this process of clouds and rain and water that's coming down is. He said in Isaiah chapter 55 in verse number 10, For as the rain cometh down, it's coming out of the clouds by the way you see. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and so does the snow, by the way. As the rain cometh down, Isaiah 55, 10, and the snow from heaven and returneth not there, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. The book is the rain. The book is the water. And the less and less your life is about that book, the more you're telling me you're not really a cloud. A cloud is water, man. When people don't love the book, when they don't love the water of the Word of God, when they don't want to drink from that well, when they, that they'll enjoy and, and, and spend their life doing everything, but they're bored with the Bible and they can't read their Bible and they're not hungry for the preaching and they're not thirsty for the things of God and they're not trying to live by the Scriptures and they're not loving the Word of God. I tell you what, it doesn't make sense. There's something wrong with the picture because clouds are water. You know what churches are about today? I tell you, they're about a lot of things. They're not about water. You know what we need? We need water. Amen. You can have the thunder. Give me the water. You can have the lightning. I need the water. Why? Because water makes things grow. Water satisfies. Water is a necessity. You can't live without water. Your body's made up mostly of water. To say a cloud doesn't have water is like saying you, your body, don't have water. You're not a person without water. You can't can't walk around without water. Now, why is it you think you can live your life without the Word of God? Why is it not your bread? Why is it not your, your breakfast? Amen. Why is it not your desire? Or are you just a little fake floating cloud? You got to look, but there's no water there. That's apostasy. Clouds, they are without water. And, and then he says something else. Carried about of winds. Now, this little fake cloud, now we know the clouds blow through the sky. We understand that. But he says they're carried about of winds. They're, they're moving. But, but the question is, what are these winds? What is controlling the direction of these clouds? What wind is carrying about? Now, Jesus Christ said this. He said this in John chapter 3 when he was trying to describe to this man about the Holy Ghost. He said the wind. Blow it where it listeth. And he talks about that wind coming in, going wherever it wants to go. And he says, so is he that's born of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost of God is the wind of God. It's the, he's the breath of God. 
God breathed in the man's nostrils. He breathed the spirit into him and made him alive. When I got saved by the grace of God, God breathed the wind into my soul. And I became alive on the inside. No, that's on the inside. The wind blew. And every now and then I feel it blow again. But now wait a minute. The devil has a fake thing for everything God does. The devil also has winds. Terrible chapter. We got to preach through it and when we preached through Zechariah. Y'all remember preaching through Zechariah so many moons ago? What an enjoyable book. But the book of Zechariah talks about these devils that are flying through the air and wind, the wind is in their wings and this is wickedness, God says. They're, they're being blown about through these unclean spirits, not a holy spirit, but an unclean spirit. And the Bible warns us about that in the church in Ephesians chapter 4. He tells us, don't be, be carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He's talking about the winds of, of false doctrine and the winds of apostasy. And you know what? If you're not a real cloud, the, the spirit of the devil and the spirit of this age is just going to blow you around and move you. I tell you what, I, th- I really think this. I think, I think people are either, either carried about by the Holy Ghost or they're carried about by unclean spirits. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the decisions they make, the words they say, the actions they do, it's just spontaneous and there it is and it's not God. It's an unclean spirit blowing their little Waterless cloud around. God give us the rain. I was preaching the missions conference up there. God recalled a little chorus he used to sing as a, a young boy in church. I was preaching about the windows of heaven. I'm glad God's, God's got windows in heaven. And when he opens them, he flooded the whole planet. That's what he said with Noah. All God had to do is open the window. And the whole planet was flooded out just by opening his window. That means there's a lot of water up there. God's got plenty of water if he just opens the window and the whole planet gets flooded. He cracked those windows and down rains bread from heaven for millions of people. And then he talks about bringing all the tithes in the storehouse and see if I will not open you the windows. Prove me, he says, prove me. And see if I will not open you the windows of heaven that I may pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. God's got plenty up there. We used to sing this as a boy. Mom will remember it. The windows of heaven are open. The blessings are flowing tonight. There's joy, joy, joy in my heart since Jesus made everything right. 
I gave him my old tattered garments. He gave me a robe of pure white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven. And that's why I'm happy tonight. All because God opened his window and poured out the rain. When's the last time God rained on your soul? You won't get rain from an apostate. You won't get rain from the world. You'll only get rain from God and His precious Word. And we need the rain. We don't need the circumstances all to be changed. We need the rain. He's not saying, oh, if we can just change this day of apostasy. Oh, no. We need the rain. We need the blessing of God and the power of God and the Word of God and the Spirit of God to blow in and bring the rain. That's what, And there's some people who don't even know what I'm talking about. Clouds, no water. All dressed right, all look right, go to church. Just a cloud, no water. That's why when I come to church and I leave church and at the end of the Sunday, some of the staff will call me and say, Preacher, how do you think church went today? You know, it's, it's not about what the offering was and it's not about what the attendance was. I want to know where the rain is. I don't want to be a cloud without water. I gave you the last one. You've listened very well. Spots they are in your feasts of charity while they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Carried about of winds. Blown all over the place. Amen. If you're saved, you can be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You don't have to be, I, I, I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I, I don't care what's on TikTok. I, I, don't, I don't care what society says. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Amen. A hill of beans to me. What happens in Montgomery or what the governor said. I'm not going to be carried about. I want to be steadfast and unmovable. Doesn't matter what popular opinion is. They always come out with a post. Well, 51%. Who cares? What does the winds blowing of this society have to do with my Christian life? Then he says, trees. Trees. Whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead. That's pretty dead when you're twice dead. Wouldn't you say? I've met some dead people, but twice dead people? That's pretty serious. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. He says they're trees. Now, God likens all of us to trees. All through the Bible, he likens men to trees. You can be a good tree, you can be a bad tree. But we pretty much know what kind of tree you are. All we have to look and see what's growing on you. He said in Psalm chapter 1, he said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. There's the rain, there's the water. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. 
He says, these trees, I tell you, you know these trees, these trees don't have any fruit. They're without fruit and their fruit withers. You know what Jesus Christ said in John 15? He says, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, listen now, and that your fruit should remain. You know, anybody can pop out a little blossom every now and then. We were talking about fruit that stays there. I don't know how long it takes a pineapple to grow, but I bet it's not a week. And you know a a tree, it's not just one season, it's not just one month or one moment in time. If that's a good tree, it's going to have this continual good fruit coming out of his life. And Jesus said, your fruit needs to remain. You need to keep having that fruit. Now, Jesus did go by a tree. A fig tree and didn't have any fruit. He cursed it. That's what the Bible says, he cursed it. And it withered away, died. You know what that's likened unto? It's likened unto our lives. Now, here's my question. What kind of fruit do you have? Do you have any fruit in your life? An apostate has no fruit. Doesn't have any fruit. He didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. There's no, there's no love in the life. There's no joy. You see, guys, it's not that if we can just get these things, uh, then, then all right, I've attained the Christian life. That's not it. If I'm rooted and grounded in love and in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if I'm not a part of this generation, and if I let God cleanse my heart, if I'm this godly man that's not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, or standing in the way of sin, or sitting in the sea of the scornful, then God makes me a tree and He brings good fruit out of my life. It's... It's not something I work at. It's something that pops out of my life. You don't have to go to a peach tree and say, please, would you give me a peach? You don't have to beg the apple tree to produce an apple. You know what I think we're doing? We're trying to beg people to produce things that they're not that kind of tree. What kind of tree are you? What kind of fruit's in your life? Quit blaming everybody else for the fruit in your life. What kind of fruit's in your life? If we came by and inspected your tree, what do we see? Do we see withering? Or do we see peace? Do we see service to God that's resulted in other people coming to Christ? Do we see Christ's likeness? Do we see a godly character? Is all that popping out of your life? No, an apostate thinks he can go to church and blend in, though he didn't have any fruit. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Just look at their life. Guys, you do not even have to be smart or spiritual to know that this world is nuts. You don't have to be either one of those. All you have to do is just look at the product. Can I get a witness there? All you have to do is look at the product. I can tell by them that that ain't the way to go. The fruit shows it. They're all messed up. Their lives are messed up. Their minds are messed up. The product, I don't want it. I'm not buying. I see the fruit of it. Now let me ask you a question. When they pass by your life, do they say, Wow, I want that truth. Is that a good question? Look at that fruit. Trees whose fruit withereth. 
Why does fruit wither in people's lives? Jesus said in Matthew 13, 6, because they had no root, they withered away. Jesus, the great sower, he sowed the seed, the good seed of the Word of God on four different types of ground, and only 25% of the types of ground produced fruit that would remain. And that's Jesus sowing it. Twice dead. I thought about what does that mean, Lord? I don't still know that I've got a good handle on that. I know, it's like, like the Lord says, you know, you, you'd compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when you made him, you made him twofold more the child of hell. That's like that verse. <laughs> How can you be twofold the child of hell? That's a pretty big statement. How can you be twice dead? Well, I know we could, all, we could talk about the second death, right? The only problem with that, these people are still walking around. <laughs> and they're twice dead walking around. It's almost like that tree that dies. Listen, that tree that's dead, but it's still in the ground, and it's not yet been rooted up and thrown into the fire. Because he says in the next phrase... Plucked up by the roots. Have you ever seen a tree that died and it was dead, but it was still in the ground? Honey, I don't know if you help me remember what that tree was there on Macedonia Road. It was a flowering, was it a plum or something? I don't know. Right there in the front yard. It was a beautiful tree. Had these burgundy leaves on it. And it, was, it was a beautiful tree. And I noticed some parts started dying, and I, I started trimming. I, I had money over there, and, and uh, you know, trim it up, try to prune it. And, you know, I started putting insecticide on it. And it was a pretty tree. There's two of them right beside each other. And it wasn't happening. I called an arborist. Y'all know what that is, right? An arborist. The arborist came to the house. He walked out, and he looked at the tree. He looked at me, and he says, that tree's dead. I said, it can't be dead. It's got leaves on it. He said, it don't look dead, but it's dead. It's dead from the core. And it's still in the ground, but it's only a matter of time to show what's going to happen. This is going to be plucked up by the roots because it's dead. It's standing there, but it's just as dead as it can be. Like some people I know. They're just waiting to be plucked up. Jesus Christ said, he said, every tree that my father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Matthew 3.10 says, and now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. There is coming a day that God Almighty is going to take care of all apostasy and all of apostates, and he's going to pluck it all up by the roots. And I just want to ask you this morning, what tree are you? What tree are you? And if you're a Christian that doesn't have fruit that remains. Hey guys, anybody can play a game for a while. But if you're a cloud that has no water, if you're a tree that doesn't have fruit, if you have spots that you don't want to get clean, why don't you get to Jesus Christ today?